To keep up with the rising costs of hosting the Hockey Hurts podcast, we encourage you to voluntarily support the podcast by visiting our Hockey Hurts Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash hockey hurts. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for May 26th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And on this podcast, we will discuss the Eastern Conference Finals, which will conclude this evening. Uh, The Western Conference Finals that wrapped up and the uh, congratulations to the San Jose Sharks, their first ever Stanley Cup final berth. Pull them up. Yep. (laughs) Among others. And... We're just going to jump right in. We're going to talk about Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay. Right now we sit with the series tied 3-3. Three to three. Uh, There's been a good amount of things that have happened since we last podcasted, and some of them have been okay for the Penguins, and some not so much. We got the Trevor Daly injury, uh, the goalie stuff, and people that think Crosby and Malkin don't do enough. So, where would you like to begin? Um, probably game one. Like, t- give Tampa. Was it game one where Bishop went down? Yes, very early yeah. on too. Yeah. So I mean, you get there and look at it, and and obviously I look at this series from a very Penguins centric perspective, but. You kind of you, you kind of got to try and remember that Tampa Bay are a very good team, and the fact that it's three three isn't necessarily an indictment on Pittsburgh failing to take advantage of opportunities. But Tampa are just a good team. Like Pittsburgh, it felt to me without even bothering to look at numbers, it's felt to me like Pittsburgh has pushed the play more in their favour that they've not capitalised on their opportunities as much as what Tampa have, and Vasilevsky's been a big reason for that. But it's been quality hockey, so it's been really enjoyable to watch these six games. Admittedly, I didn't get to see game five because my internet was down, but seeing as my favourite player decided to play like a dog, I'm kind of glad that I missed it. And with that said, that is why there has been a gap um, with the podcast can't podcast um, internationally without the internet, apparently. Yeah, well, five days of no internet connectivity is uh, a little difficult. So we tried to find a way around that, and um, there just wasn't, so apologies for that. Um, Yeah, this series has been pretty good. As far as entertainment goes, there's, you know, you got some villains with Ryan Callahan uh, doing hitting Latang in the first game and then doing some other things later on. But I, I, I am just going to say, uh, Pittsburgh's been the better team. I don't think there's much debate about that. Shots are 230 to 161. Shot attempts are 55% for Pittsburgh. Scoring chances are 57%. Really, the difference is Vasilevsky has outplayed the Penguins' goaltenders up until game six. So Pittsburgh's controlling the shot volume. They're getting a lot of opportunities. Vasilevsky's doing a good job. I think I think he's given up like three goals almost every game, but he still has a 920 save percentage. So that just goes to show you what kind of shot volume Tampa Bay is is leaking. I mean, all you all you want if your if your opposition goalie has given up three a game, 
all you want is league average goaltending, and that should give you a 3-2 win, in theory. And that hasn't happened. They were below 900, even with Matt Murray. And that's just not good enough. No, and that's why we're we're at three three. I mean, um, what what's been enjoyable for me is just just watching Chris Letang and Victor Hedman control games. Like the both the the team's performance really does ride on how well both those players play. Game five, Letang was a minus four. Game six, Hedman was a minus four. Like there is a strong correlation there between the output of those two players and the ability of their team to win. Yeah, game five for Latang was a disaster. He was a turnover machine. And without Trevor Daly, who, you know, has his own share of turnovers and and shot volume against him when he's on the ice, he, he still, when he has the puck with time and space, he'll create more time and space for the Penguin forwards. He's out for the rest of the year with a fractured ankle and... That's not ideal for, no. for Pittsburgh because now you're either Ian Cole or Justin Schultz's minutes are going to go up, and that's I think that's somewhere other teams can take advantage of the Penguins. Here is and I, look, I've brought this up a lot, and here is where the whole teach your kid how to play down in the minor. This has burnt the Penguins later in the year by not having. Derek Pouliot play all year, even with the growing pains at the start of the year. This is the problem you've got. Brian Dumoulin has blossomed as the year's gone along and has become a lot better than I thought he would be. Um, and you can see he's skating out there with confidence now. Derek Pouliot cops a lot of flack for underperforming, but he's never been put in a position to do any good. You could really do with him right now, filling Trevor Daly's role of high event hockey. Yeah, he'll make some errors, but boy, will he create. Yeah, I think that's a topic we've discussed a lot on here. Mm. And they've gotten past the point of no return. They they threw him in for one game, and it was like, oh, well, he made this mistake and that mistake. He also let a controlled exit for a goal, but they didn't allow him to play. And now you have a guy go out that has kind of, they do similar things or have the ability to do similar things and you can't replace him with those similar things because I don't know, make up your reason for why he was out of the lineup all year and why Ian Cole's mistakes are somewhat or more accepted by the coaching staff than, than a younger player. I don't know. I don't have the answers to that, but we are in the situation now and I think he could have helped. I think that's not going to happen now. Yep. That's, that's the reality of it. So that ship has sailed. Do do you push? Like they brought Marta back into the lineup, and he he, you know, looked a lot more like the Oli Marta that I remember when he was healthy than he did the Oli Marta that he was before he came out. Is he going to be able to play the elevated minutes that they're going to need him to for for Game Seven, and then you know, hopefully beyond, and and be at a quality level. Otherwise, it's going to push the minutes up for those two aforementioned players even further. Well, I think one thing Pittsburgh's doing to kind of help that is not having him play with Latang. You can't. You just can't get him to play those style of minutes. And playing with Lovejoy, um, who has played all right this 
playoffs. I have um, yeah, no complaints. Yeah, um, surprised. Yep. Uh, yep. Still, still infuriating when uh, the slap shot dump in from the neutral zone when he's got tons of time and space to to get an entry and just hold up, and then if someone comes to him, then chip it in. But those kind of plays will always frustrate me. <laughs> because Doesn't there's just matter. no reason for them and he yeah. does that time and time again yeah. but the other stuff he's he's doing um he's doing his job so motto with him is okay and then you just got to hold on to your hats with the cole schultz pairing there are times where they look like they know each other when they play then there are other times where one guy will move to a certain point on the ice and the puck will go in the complete opposite direction. It's like they don't communicate when they're out there. It's just, it. it's weird how it works. And you can see Justin Schultz's offensive instincts are fantastic. He, Someone just has to work on him in regards to learning where to put his body and how to take a hit when he's trying to battle for a puck in the defensive zone. There's definitely potential there for him to be a quality, like a quality bottom three pairing and a decent number two pairing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, this game could, could make or break him um, for his career, really. I mean, if he coughs up the puck in some, at some wrong times and they, you know, they lose on him, it'll be interesting to see what happens with his career. Yeah. The thing I noticed with him is I like the, the puck skills and that kind of stuff. When he engages, a lot of the, the forwards bounce off of him. Like, he, he tries to engage. I saw him mm. check that he tried to make the guy just <laughs> bounced off of him and kept going. He just It just doesn't look like the the physical work's been put in there for him to know how to handle his body when he doesn't have the puck. And he just, if he wants to stay in the league, he's going to have to work that out over the offseason um, and prove to a club at some point that he can, he can improve that aspect of his game because you can't be that good offensively and be that poor defensively and expect to expect to get a game. Yeah, it's funny they trust him more than Pouliot. Oh, it's infuriating. Like you said, it's infuriating. I think they're holding it against Pouliot for not being a, a top four defenseman already. Like, they wanted him to show up, be that guy we drafted you eighth overall, be that guy, damn it. <laughs> and, it, you know, it hasn't quite happened that way. And... Yeah. Frustrating. So they're doing their best to make up for Trevor Daly's loss because he was playing a lot of minutes. He was getting those forwards, the puck with speed through the neutral zone, that kind of stuff. And that's really the transitional game of the Pittsburgh Penguins since Mike Sullivan took over. That's a big proponent of it. And not having it is, is tough. But Ali Mata coming in after being very bad deserved being benched yeah has come back and and looked better so and that's why they're still alive game seven down three to two they they played a well they played two periods of game six pretty pretty darn good that third period was just ugh. look you know i before, like this afternoon when i got home from work i watched that san jose st louis game and san jose closed out their game perfectly. They kept pushing. They kept going for the the jugular. They kept trying to score. None of this, 
let's play it safe and let's just try to let the clock wind down by chipping it into the offensive zone but not have a go for icing and just let the clock run. It just doesn't work. You've got to go for the win. The, the Pitts, Pittsburgh's defense is not set up to get trapped in its own zone and physically try to push teams around. And if you're going to keep the puck in the defensive zone, you're going to lose out in the end. And you're gonna end in. You need the puck at the other end of the ice, so you get a lucky bounce, not the other way around. Yeah, you're right. And here's how you do get bottled up: teams that have nothing to lose and do not care are going to activate their defensemen with a green light. Without, they're just going to send them in. There's no reading the play or whatever. It's get in on the winger and pressure them, and the hope is they chip it beyond the defenseman and the f3 who's high up in the zone slides behind the defenseman and they get the puck and they do it over and over and over again especially if it's six on five the only way to counter that is to get your winger down lower and to trust the center breakout and when you're in play at safe mode ain't nobody going up the middle with a pass so you really feed into the wall being taken away and, yeah, sure, you might win a few battles and ship it back out, but the other team's going to regroup and jam it back down your throat, and you're going to have to get lucky with another one of those battles again. So you really you can't stop making plays. You have to use a center breakout. There's going to be a lot of pressure. It's just you want to win, you got to make plays. You can't just that the sit-back stuff. Um, I, would, and, and I get it. Look- I mean, as a player... <laughs> I've been through it as a coach. I see it as a fan and um, a writer. I see it like this isn't specific to the Penguins. It isn't specific to the NHL. That happens in all hockey, all levels, and it's still <laughs> maddening. I don't. I don't understand. The thing that I don't get is that Pittsburgh have got four centers that can handle a bad a bad pass from their wingers in their skates reasonably well. They've got one guy that plays with his skates as good as anyone else in the league. I don't know why they get gun-shy with that pass from below the dots by the winger on the wall to get out of the zone, not even with speed, but to get out of just with control. You know, controlled exits are almost as important as controlled entries. And when you're, you're in well, that one mode... one to the other. Well, exactly, but just to get out of the zone with control so you can then dictate whether you want to change, whether you want to keep the puck, whether you want to attack. You know, take control back of the game. I don't understand why they don't trust Sid, Gino, Benino, and and Cullen to take that pass on and do the right thing with it because I still, I think 80% of the time they're going to get it right and I'd rather go with the 80% than the 5% of the, the, the dump and chase. You might actually score another goal. Yeah, and then the game's toast. I mean, you know, talk to Brian Russ. And that does happen. And, you know, God bless Chris Kunitz. I, I, I thought we were going to bring that up a little bit later. But he's been great again. He's doing the things that have always made him very good. Maybe, you know, a lot of people would notice the goal totals with Sid, but not really pay attention to how and why they came about. He's so good at making controlled plays and not just putting things, just whacking the puck away for the sake of whacking it away. And as a consequence, as he's gotten older, he still continues to try to make those plays. And sometimes it leads to a flubber, a turnover, and that's gotten a lot of criticism from fans and media 
and he's a terrible player now. He's mentally still trying to make those plays, and in the last couple weeks, he's doing a lot better with it. And that Brian Ruskell is a prime example of not just... I mean, that defenseman was on him. He could have just whacked it off the wall to nobody. Instead, he took a little bit of an extra second, laid it into an area, and Brian Rust has a breakaway, and then everything dissipated away with the pressure of the game because Brian Rust scored that goal. Great finish, remember, by the way. I remember throughout the year on the podcast, I'm pretty sure, but I know definitely off the podcast, you were absolutely baffled with the fact that Kunitz's hands seem to have he seemed to have lost his hands. It's like you always said, it's usually your legs that go, but your hands can keep up and you can still do things. It's just that you're not as quick to get to the puck. And it's like he did the complete reverse. Well, it's almost like his hands have had a renaissance in a sense because those area plays, he's, he's getting them right more often. He's, you know, he's, he's put some goals in that he was missing earlier in the year. He's still missing the net by a mile on, on a few occasions that you, you do shake your head with. But it, it's like he's just got this one last little burst, and it'll be interesting to see whether it, it continues in, in, in Game 7 and if they go beyond, whether he can maintain it for another seven games and it'll be interesting to see what he decides to do at the end of the year. But it, it's... I I can see why they like you, you're a big adv- advocate of putting Malkin and Malkin and Crosby together, right? I can see I, I why. I was, yeah, because they weren't even strength. They're not generating what they could no. be, and it's because they want to. All right, I'm going to just say it right now. I'm fine with HBK. That's a great line. It's done great things. But here's the other side of it. Malkin was doing great things with them too. In fact, the expected goals percentage and the straight-up possession was better with Malkin, with Haglin and Kessel. So this idea that there's some magical chemistry between Benino and Haglin and Kessel, it's not magical chemistry. It's Those are the best two wingers on the team. Whichever one of those top three centers is going to play with them is probably going to do really well. The, the, the hope for the Penguins, and it worked um, in stretches in the regular season when Sid was just on fire, is... Okay, we'll give Benino these two wingers. They're going to put up top-line production. Hey, Sid and Gino, try your best to have top-line production. And in the Washington series and much of the Lightning series, that has not been the case because, you know, Washington and Tampa are two of the top three teams in the in the conference, and it's a lot tougher to do that. I was just going so crazy with it because you hear you have generational talents and you want them to do these nice things that they can do. And you're playing in a league that it's not easy to score even when you have the quality of teammate going in your favor. And they're not not—they're giving them the table scraps like Shiri and Rust. Are, they're, I don't want to call them AHL players. They're clearly NHL caliber now. But they're not top six, bona fide top six NHL players. And it's like, here, Sid. Gino, make the best of this. And, you know, some nights they will, but when you're in a playoff series, you need consistently to put your best players in the best spots to win these games, and I don't think the Penguins have done that for Crosby and Malkin, and I know it's weird to say coming off Sid's performance in Game 6, but really, I mean, he took that on his own and scored that goal. It's it's one of those things where if you're, if you're Tampa, do you get there and go... Everything you've just said about Sid and Gino's on the money. They're, they're carrying, they're trying to carry lines on their own. 
Um, and they're not Pittsburgh aren't going to get the most out of those two talents. We'll take the risk and just play headman against HBK the entire night, shut down that line that's been producing, and force the players around Crosby and Malkin to beat us. Because hockey is one of those games where it is really, really hard as a skater to win a game on your own back. Like, it is really, really hard to do. So do you take that risk if you're Tampa, or do you still get there and try and line Hedman up against either Malkin or Crosby, depending on the amount of minutes that Hedman's going to play, and just pray that, that Kessel goes quiet? The other thing that I'll say about it is, okay, you want to stay with this and separate the three centers. Okay, I'm good with it. You can start the game that way. But I haven't seen this since Dan Bilesma was the coach. And Dan did a great job with it. He found situations throughout the game to put Crosby and Malkin together, whether it was off TV timeouts or at the end of periods. He would find even strength time for those two. And Johnston and Sullivan just don't do that, and I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. You have to be able – you don't – part of why Pittsburgh's good is they have the quote-unquote four scoring lines, and you can wear teams down. That's very good. But let's not get into just a robotic pattern of one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I mean, Mike Sullivan's throwing out the fourth line after TV timeouts with, with Cole and Schultz. What the hell are you doing? You don't have to do yeah. that. <laughs> I do, Don't I do really, that, in fact. I really do wonder if, and this isn't like a conscious thing on, on the coaching staff's behalf, if they they are, if they sort of read a little bit too much into their own press or, or, or into, into their own thought process. I mean, look, this thing succeeded. They're a game away from making it to the Stanley Cup final. So if, if it works or it doesn't work in the game, what do I call it, today or tomorrow, whatever it is for, for you guys, it's like if he gets there and doesn't put them together when the Penguins are down, he's probably going to get torched for it. But it I can't be. blame. It should be. Yeah, but I can't blame him for going with what's worked. Like rolling the four lines when the Penguins have been down all year, playoffs and also in the regular season, they've won. Yeah, but, so, but you're also playing well, the best of the best now. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on board with the whole put your best guys out there as much as you possibly can, particularly if you're down and you're trying to come back. I'm all for it, but I, I kind of get it in regards to the stubbornness of let's do this. It works. And the thing that's funny is that one of the criticisms of Bilesma was that he wouldn't do any in-game adjustments. Well, here and we are. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. It feels like we've looped back around to that again. Different coach. Same thing with Bosma. Really, really successful. Did really, really well, but was obviously ingrained in stuff that, you know, quite honestly, worked really, really well, but did not want to shift when things weren't going the right way. Like, he trusted his own process. So I kind of get it that Sullivan's going to trust his own process. It's just that a part of that process doesn't include putting your best players together when they need that help, and it's that's infuriating as a fan. Listen, two, game five, two minutes and change left in the game, and I see Evgeny Melkin come over the boards with Brian Rust. What the fuck is going on? 
I don't, Two I don't, and a I'm, half minutes left, and you're down one in the Eastern Conference Finals. You're almost going to go down three to two. Ugh. Like, how do you still roll the, the Brian Russ card out there? I, I, I want... I, and I, go back I don't want to... I feel like I'm, like... I don't want to be difficult on Brian Rust. He scored a huge goal last game, but he's not a top six NHL forward. His points per 60 in the regular season was 1.01. You know, he is what he is. He does things well, but he's not the guy I want on the ice with Malkin in a a high leverage situation. Cut that bench down. You know, and I think this plays into, this is just a microcosm of kind of the Crosby-Malkin era. The team, you know, has not always put them in the best position to succeed. And it's been tough to watch because they've been the two of the best players on the planet this entire time. And whether it's been unfortunate injuries, goaltending, which we haven't discussed yet, just being terrible in a lot of those years, or the GM not providing proper depth players for them to do things with. And they finally got that part right this year. Um now they have a fixable problem, allocating ice time uh, depending on game situation. So, look, I, I I don't like the fact that I'm going to have to be at work tomorrow while the game is on, and I'm still trying to debate whether I just stay off Twitter and everything and come home and watch it, or no, yeah, do that, do that. It's gonna eat me alive though, waiting and waiting and waiting. Like I don't It's go home brand until... new to you when you watch it. That's all that matters. Oh, you've got to stay off Twitter for so long. I'm terrible with that. I know. It's <laughs> Twitter. Twitter during the games is is fun. I, I like it, it a lot. It really is. So. Like it's one of those things. Like looking at the looking at the Stanley Cup schedule, I hate it. Like there's barely any weekend games. So I think I've got maybe two games that I can watch live with. Everybody and I, I will watch it very closely, whether the Penguins are in it or not. And so I only get that experience twice, and that's I, I think I can't remember what the games are, but I get there and go, "What is this?" Like even my wife got there and said, "Why are there no games on the weekend?" Like because everything's at night for you guys. It's simple. You just play the games whenever people will show up. <laughs> yeah, you got an interesting dynamic going on. <laughs> but so. What do we? Where do we go with what's going on in net? Um, Sullivan had a hiccup, corrected it, and here we are. I don't understand why they even bothered putting Fleury in net. You're asking for they're asking for a fairy tale basically to happen in, in the sense that he comes in, plays well in game five, and they win, and then they move on from that point and. You can't create that. You can't artificially create that. It just happens. And throwing him to the Wolves in a game that... I, I watched that 20 minutes that he played in... Was it game four that he played the, the 20 minutes? Oh, when he sparked the team, but actually score effects happen? Ignore, <laughs> Much, ignore Wait a second. Oh, by the way, Tampa Bay in game six, when they were down 3 nothing, did not change their goalie. Where did their spark come from? 
Yeah, look, let's ignore that stupid narrative. <laughs> I, I, I understood putting him in for the 20 minutes. Oh, I yeah, no, 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 absolutely. That 20 minutes made perfect sense to me. But in no way, shape, or form do you put him in in Game 5. Because that is just... There's only one way that can go, and that is you're setting him up to fail. Everybody goes, he's your starter, he should win it for you, he should be good enough to do that. Fleury already has a reputation of choking in the playoffs. You're just setting him up to do it again. Like, I legitimately think that's the last time we will see Pittsburgh play with him in net in the finals, in the playoffs, ever. I don't think he'll be on the roster come playoffs next year. Um, and, I'll, I'll amend that. I think it's the last time he will start. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's that's fair enough, too. Yeah, I that's think fair. if Pittsburgh's fortunate enough to get by um, tonight Tampa, yeah, or this morning for our Australian listeners no, it's, it's um, tomorrow. the sharks are certainly capable of chasing a goalie no matter oh, how yeah. good they are so i could True. see something like that happening but as far as starting i think he may have started his last penguins game in fact i think that would be the prudent move as discussed many times on this yeah podcast. so I, i'm just i'm just pissed at that like I, I haven't even been able to go back and watch that game five because you know you don't want to see your favorite player well, there's Under the human cheek. side of it, and obviously he's, by every single account, nobody says otherwise, a great human being, great to be around. Yeah. And I don't like seeing good people um, not find success. Yeah. But sports is a son of a bitch, and yep. it doesn't always happen that way, and it's a business, and He's, that's, that's the he's not the I best guy to... for the job anymore for the Pittsburgh Penguins, either no, short he, or long term. And they have to move on from him. It's just a question of how, and we'll extrapolate on that later on in the in the year. But you, you get there with it, and it's just like, damn it, they just they didn't put him in it. Look, the concussion couldn't have come at a worse time for him, all that sort of stuff. But it's just it, it's just sad for me that that's sort of the way it's all all played out for him. I mean, Murray deserved to go in for Game Five, um, Game Six can prove the point that he maybe needed that mental rest if you're really going to try and stretch that bow. So, you know, it's all worked out well. You're going to get two 20, well, you're going to get a 21 and a 22-year-old goalie going at it, you know, in, what is it, about 10 hours from now. So it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. Murray could have a stinker, but you know what? I like... I like his style of play in the sense that he's big, and a lot of the reasons that I bitch about scoring being so low, he he, he does some <laughs> of the, the the things well that prevent that. Um, big body, on his angles, um, economy of motion. Yeah, he has so much less motion than Fleury, and I love. And he's not he slow can. side to side. He still gets over. Nobody gets over side to side as fast as Flurry. I think Quick is another guy who is just as fast as Flurry doing that. Yeah. But yeah. Murray's fast enough. He's not some. He's not like Jaguar. Yeah, he's not a steamboat. So steamboat. That's a good way of putting it. So he could have a bad game, but he's the right starter, and he's gotten him. One game away from the Stanley Cup final. This is the deepest the Penguins have gone since winning it all. They've really not had the the, the track of success that was planned out for them over the years. And you know this is their best though? look at it. 
You know what's funny though? Say they, they go 2008 Cup Finals, 2009 they win it. Say they go through and win the whole thing now, right? You get there and go, that's still two cups in it's that great. stretch of time. That's still, this, this is what I mean. Like, this is like legacy building for the core players in this, in this roster when you think about it. It's like, at the moment, the Penguins are looked, like, looked upon as a failure of talent. If they go and win the cup this year, then all of a sudden, yeah, it's funny how they just they've bookended. They've bookended like uh, what did Chicago? Chicago won three and six, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So they bookended that and and LA Two. twice in there. So you get there and go. It's not been all that bad. Like I said, there's been some serious injury issues that have come across. Flurry has tanked them and some of their better years and then Shero finished the job off with poor depth <laughs> um, towards the, yeah. the the tail end of that. Rutherford came in last year. I didn't think he did a very good job. Totally flipped the script this year. Did a great job and here we are. They're not hurt for the most part. Malkin I'm certain is not 100% but the planets have aligned the best they have in a long time for this team and unfortunately for them, it's come down to a Game 7 where they've been the better team throughout the series. But we know this sport is cruel. We know that, <laughs> you know, this, yep. these kind of games, bad bounces don't care who they happen to. <laughs> One thing could happen, and just look at the Tyler Johnson overtime goal. Like, Sid scored his overtime goal. You're like, damn, wow, what a play. And then the other one is, oh... Yeah, great. <laughs> yep. But that's the sport, and that's why you don't want to put yourself in these situations. That's why shot value matters, because you never know which one's going to go off a guy's ass. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny. Like I'm I'm glad I'm glad the San Jose Sharks made it, and the reason I say that is that at a if Pittsburgh or Tampa make it, the three teams that are left have got speed. Yeah, it'll be good entertainment. I think this is and they want to score. So, if it had have been St. Louis, they would have been trying to slow the other team down, and it 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 would have just been I don't think as as fun. So, at least um, at least probably more fun for the Eastern team. Yeah, that's that's true because San Jose aren't exactly what you'd call a Rockham and Sockham Don Cherry style of team. So. Um, it'll be, yeah. I mean, do we want to talk about the other series at all? Yeah, of course. Um, love seeing the Sharks, um, win because the Penguins, as we've discussed, got their cup. So they're kind of not in quite the same conversation, but if we're being honest, Thornton and Marlowe, Crosby, Malkin <laughs> take a lot of shit from a lot of people because the perceived success of their teams hasn't gotten to where people think they should have gotten. And it's nice to see Thornton and Marlowe and Pavelski, among others, get that, this look at the final and they stayed with it and they've always been good and people don't understand the luck factor of the playoffs doesn't always go your way. And they're here. And it's really great because Joe Thornton's awesome. Probably, would you um, say most underrated star of the era? 
I'd say underappreciated. I wouldn't say underrated. I think I think the issue that Thornton has is that everyone knows how good he is, but everyone just likes to slag out on him that his team falls apart on him. Or do you know what I mean? Like, yep. it's always his fault because he's so good. I, I think people just underappreciate how good he actually is. So, and Paul Martin. Well, everyone likes. Well, not everyone likes P-Mart, but it is good to see. It is. It is funny. I think you mentioned that. You know, it was no, uh, no surprise that that Chris Letang had one of his best years playing next to Paul Martin, and then you look at what happens with Brent Burns, and his partner is is Paul Martin. So, he's one of those brilliant complementary players that allows the other players around them to be better. I think he's more than complementary. He drives play. He does, just but not he, in a flashy not, way. Yeah, look, it, it, you've pointed out uh, not last well, yeah last year was last was last year is this his first year in San Jose? It is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I just remember last year there are a few articles you wrote on on Paul Martin and just in regards to his the little chip here over the stick of somebody else and the, the little dig pass here that allowed a forward to escape the zone with speed. Stick on puck, and, he's the master yeah. at it. And it's just it's just little things like that. Like he's not quick by any means, but he, he, a little bit like Olimata, he reads the play well enough that he doesn't have to. Well, he can't rely on his foot speed. He relies on his brain to see the angles, get to the puck first, and then get the puck on to the onto the guys that need it with speed. It's just it's really really good to see. And last night he's blocking. I, I think a Brower shot late in the third period after the the. The Blues were making their, or Tarasenko was making his his goal scoring run, and he's he's so good. And the Penguins miss him dearly. I understand why they didn't feel comfortable giving him the the four years because of how old he was. But the twenty fifteen sixteen season was never in doubt of him being still a great player. It's more or less that the twenty eighteen nineteen season. That you worry about, but this isn't a yeah, Rob Scuderi situation where you know you. Well, Cheryl thought he was going to get two good years, and then the back two not be good. As a, but in reality, all four were crummy. But you know the Paul Martin thing. You, to bring it to a Pittsburgh kind of point of view, remember when he came and everybody said he was bad. Yeah, but that's because of the the, the contract he signed was the same as Gonchar's. I know what the perception. Yeah, we've we've said that. He was like a fifty-six percent possession player that year, and people were saying he's bad. <laughs> like, yeah, but that, like you said, though, that it's that whole perception thing. It's like, well, Gonchar was this. Martin comes in and signs the exact same contract, and they're like, well, he needs to produce exactly the same as Gonchar, and that's not how Paul Martin works. It's him always about, were their best pairing. Yeah, well, they everybody trashed the hell out of him, and he left. Yeah, I guess we didn't follow those, um, you know, the stat stuff very closely at, in those times. No, but it it does show you how it can help you um, nullify rash decisions, I suppose, or misinterpret the actual input somebody does for you because they're not flashy or they're not noticeable or the errors they do make are extremely noticeable and you kind of forget the uh, good stuff that they do. I mean, it, it's it's funny how much um, credit 
uh, Wilson's getting for putting this team together. Thornton and Arlo to... should get the credit. They said he we're not going to, we're stay. not allowing you to trade us. Well, until Marlowe actually requested a trade. Yeah, that eventually did happen. But like Joe Thornton's like, uh, nah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> no, I know, but that's the thing. Like. He, he tried to blow this team up, and and Thornton didn't let him do it. And, and so you're right, Thornton's the one that should be getting the credit for it. Like Thornton could have gone because you could realistically have Thornton go. Well, it didn't work with with McClellan, who I actually think is a good coach. We look like we're over the hill. I should skedaddle to a different team that that's sort of pushing up to the cup and, and have a crack at being a second line center there instead of being a second-line center at San Jose. So good on him for sticking with it. Yeah, very happy for, for Joe Thornton, who will have the spotlight on him in a good way. And very happy for the San Jose fan base. Um, you know, we talk about not traditional markets around the league, and San Jose is one of them, and San Jose is a great one. And they've built that fan base up over the years. The Shark Tank always looks like a really fun place to uh, be at. And they're going to be on the biggest stage finally, and that's pretty cool. Mm. Now, well, watching Game 6, that, that place was rocking. It was a really good pregame show, really good atmosphere, and the crowd was in it the whole way. It was fantastic. Looking at the Sharks, um, I know for a while there they had Couture playing third or center and they had Marlowe Thornton and Couture doing basically the Crosby Malkin Benino thing. Yeah. But lately they've um, scrapped that and said, we're going to play our best with our best. And it's just, you know, to tie in our early discussion, Thornton gets to play with Pavelski, Pavelski leading the league in playoff goals because he's playing with one of the best passers. And then you have Marlowe with Couture and, you know, just saying. No, I agree. It's, it's it's one of those things where the Dubois has done a really good job of, of putting his players in positions to succeed. Their power play is awesome as well. Even when it doesn't score, it looks fantastic. Ooh, I'm and glad you brought that up. And it's, it's something that uh, whoever ends up having to play against them, best way to kill it, don't take a penalty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the reason that their power play so good is they have people moving the movement creates two-on-ones the sharks players understand this concept they expose the two-on-one and they get shots and aren't afraid to shoot they don't dick around with it a lot they're always searching for a two-on-one they have uh you know what they're like sharks they are just ready <laughs> to strike you know they're, they're kind of moving about and then boom it's it's on and one of my favorite ones is when they get kind of the, the cycle moving, and then Marlowe just pops up, slides up in the slot just a little bit, and the guy down low finds that little lane, and he gets to uh, do the quick snapper one-timer from a good position. And you got that there. You got Thornton patrolling everything on the perimeter, knowing how to create east-west lanes, and then Burns up top is just so dangerous. So and then I haven't even brought up Pavelski. <laughs> the, no, I know. Just tips everything anyway. So it's, um, that's it's, that's it's, a power play Pittsburgh should be doing. They have this. Not every team can run that because you need skill and brains. But Pittsburgh has those players, and they continue to do this 
static whatever it is. And they're over twenty percent against Tampa, but it's it doesn't always look. Here's an eye test thing: Sharks, you're on the edge of your seat most times. Pittsburgh, a lot of times, you it's know, it's very calm. They have the puck, but it's not. You're not like, oh, okay, this is dangerous. It's okay. We got possession now. Where can we go? It's not the same. It does for me. It feels like they're overthinking it a touch, at times, and and you, you kind of can't. I would have thought that being on the power play, you've got your your, your faint structure that you, you start with, and after that, it's a little bit like freaking Star Wars. Let the force flow through you and just play, and two on ones will develop, and you'll make the right decision, and you'll score. But it doesn't. It, at times with that power play, it doesn't feel as though the players are playing hockey. It's it's like they're they're trying to run a a, a drill like a diagram, and, and if it doesn't work, then they don't really know what to do after that. And then there are other times where it does. It looks really crisp, but that San Jose power play is on all the time, and it's it's great to watch. If Pittsburgh make it through, I'll be really interested to see how Pittsburgh's penalty kill goes against it because their whole point of their their penalty kill is to rush people into decisions, right? So if San Jose are moving all the time, I don't know if Pittsburgh are going to be able to get to the player to make them rush their decision. They have to, though. You can't sit back because unlike some teams where you sit back and they'll kind of play catch for a while, San Jose does, um, well, I'm biased. They run a similar thing to what I I try to run with my high school team. When, When you pass it down low, the half wall guy, you know, will move, and the guy from down low will slide up to the half wall spot, pass it to the point. Point guy walks, can give it back to the other. Like there's a lot of movement, and yeah. it makes it tough for p- penalty killers to pick a spot to where being aggressive makes sense. But the movement causes them to move anyways in ways that they probably don't want to. And, and that's my point. And there's your east-west lanes, and there's your pockets that develop in danger areas. And every guy on that Sharks roster has the ability to to put pucks into small areas. They don't need much, and they know how to create just enough. And there it is. So I thought Pittsburgh did okay against Washington, another amazing power play. But Washington's a little bit different in the sense that they're good at opening it up for two guys, or, or yeah, Carlson and obviously Ovechkin. Whereas the Sharks, it's not so much about the shooter as it is about where they get those shots from. Yeah, Cause, it's not cause Washington can yeah. score from further out because those guys have, not to say Burns can't, but he's not Ovechkin. Nobody is. That's a, yeah. a whole different dynamic. So. But those are the two best power plays in the league for my money, and if Pittsburgh is fortunate enough to run through both of them successfully, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I hate to say this, but I'm actually very nervous for the game. Well, game <laughs> sevens, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a 36-year-old adult. I've got no actual tie to, like, I don't know anyone in the team or, or anything like that, but I get there with this game and I'm like, yeah, but you There's follow a... it for a whole season. You follow, We follow the whole league, but there is this, 
the fact that we follow one team closer than the other 29. And you, you see them throughout the year change personnel and grow and, and find different ways for success. And it builds throughout the year, and you want it to keep going. And that's, that's part of why we watch, and it's fun. Yeah, all, all of that. I do I do sit there with it, though, and it's like, it's it's just fun. Like I really half want to call in sick at work tomorrow and watch this game live, but I probably shouldn't. Well, you probably shouldn't put it on an international podcast before you do it. <laughs> They're not going to listen to it before it comes. Although my big boss does actually listen to the podcast. That's concerning. <laughs> um, is there anything that we... I feel like we kind of did a disservice to Tampa Bay. Um, it's... Uh, like you just said, we obviously follow Pittsburgh closer than Tampa, but um, Victor Hedman is awesome. I don't think – if you didn't know that before this series and you're a Penguins fan, you should certainly know it now. Um, his scary. ability to control the game from the defensive zone um, all the way through to to creating offense with a lot of often breakout passes, and that's what cost Oli Marder his, his spot in the side. So – um, yeah, Victor Hedman for me, if, if Anton Strawman was probably 100% healthy in regards to at Eastern Conference final pace right from the get-go, it, it might be a little bit different. But, um, yeah, he's just Hedman's just been awesome to watch. Uh, no Stamkos. I, I don't foresee that changing. No. Unfortunately, no, he may... I, he may be out the whole shebang. It's tough to know with the blood clot thing because there's not much information released, nor nor really should there be. But no, exactly. Uh, you know, if Tampa loses, that might be might be it for him. Actually, hang on. What I, I, one question I do want to ask: Jonathan Druin's um, goal where he was offside. Okay. Now, I. He was offside, right? But do they have to change the offside rule now that they've they can look at it this way? Do you want to have it that you just have to have a skate a skate behind the line, whether touching. it's off the ice or on the ice? Yeah. No, I I just think that's an unnecessary addition to the game. I get the people that are like, well, offsides is offsides. It's clear cut. Blah blah blah. And I get the, no. I, look, I get that argument too. I, I fully understand that argument. But you get there and go, it's a league bleeding for offense, right? Like, just they need. Something I don't to personally care that a skate was a millimeter in the air or whatever it was, and he was he was he was offsides by the yeah. cut dry definition. But when it had nothing to do with the flow of the play. I think I think the offsides rule was to prevent the Danny Briere five feet offsides breakaway goals. And yeah, they're not they're not those aren't they're happening. No. Refs aren't missing those calls often. Yes, they missed that one in twenty twelve, but how many times are you like, Wow, he's three feet offsides and they missed it? It just doesn't happen and I think the spirit of the rule is still preventing guys from getting an advantage. I don't think we really need a coach's review to slow the game down to a crawl to prevent goals that happen 15 to 20 seconds later anyways. I, I think the thing that I find funny about it is that you get there and it's like, all right, so we're going to call a skating infraction to the letter of the law. 
yeah, we're not going to worry about calling penalties to the letter of the law. And that's that's a great point. That's I please do that, and then worry about this 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 review that nobody in the league or by fans was clamoring for. Or no, I shouldn't yeah. say the league. Obviously, some in the league were clamoring for it. Otherwise, it wouldn't uh, have happened. No, but nobody was like, "Oh my God, we need offsides review." What the hell's going on with this rule? Yeah, and I know that we're not the only podcast that sits there and bitches and moans about the fact that skilled players can't be skilled because officials don't want to influence the game by calling a penalty. So non-skilled players can drag skilled players down to their level. It just baffles the fuck out of me in regards to why a league that always hates being considered the little brother of the other three professional leagues doesn't allow their stars to shine. And why do the refs get on a Sega Game Gear to look at this stuff? <laughs> That's going to bother you for a while, isn't it? No, I agree. It, look, it's a, look, it's 4K. It's Someone 4K, had a great like... joke on Twitter that the reason the... the uh... The reviews take so long is because the the four AA batteries in the Game Gear run out before they can get the review done. <laughs> uh, it's just I don't know. There are times where where professional leagues make themselves look silly, and I don't understand. Considering that, am I right in saying the NFL have got sponsorship with Microsoft because almost all of their things that they've got have got? I thought they were all using Surface, Surface Pros. Pros. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand why they're not using the Surface Pros in that situation there. I don't understand why they haven't gone ahead and done that. <clears throat> All right. Why are the on-ice officials have anything to do with it? Why not just have somebody on a super yeah. HD big screen TV hire actual people to make these rulings, like head of officials, and just have people assigned to games on huge-ass screens in the arena, and they start looking at questionable things, phone down, eliminate the coach's challenge, the the. The damn coaches shouldn't be responsible for referee fuck-ups. They got enough on their plate. That's true. That's and it shouldn't be a part of game coming. strategy at all. You shouldn't be at a risk of losing your time out because the ref screwed up. And then they screw up the replay. And now you're like, well, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. <clears throat> you shouldn't have to keep your time out under the assumption that the ref will eventually screw up. Like, that shouldn't come into game strategy at just, all. Just, just. Just with all of this, right, you get there and, and you look at David Backus' reaction after losing, right? Front of the camera's born his eyes out, ra 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 Why are the officials not put under the same sort of microscope in regards to their output? Why do we not get to find out what they thought they saw in this particular play or that particular play? Because if players can remember what the hell's happened... Officials certainly know what the hell they've seen when they're doing it. I think the I NBA understand. makes their refs available. Yeah, I don't under this. This league feels so cloak and daggery. Do you know what I mean? Well, we the emails. I mean, we know how it, we know how this league is yeah, operating. So it, it's it's like, are, are we going to have to wait for a guy like that? Silver came along and suddenly started doing new things with the NBA. We're going to have to wait for a new commissioner to come in to sort of open things up. For, for the NHL, like I just I don't I don't understand why the officials get a get a pass. No one no one gives them like critiques on what they do. And the, for hockey, they are a massive part of what goes on in the game because of how much they either do call or don't call. And as you get further and further through the playoffs, 
less and less penalties get called, and it's harder and harder for high-skilled players to actually do any good. I couldn't care less if freaking Chris Letang went out there and got four slashes and got called for all four, because it at least then means that goddamn Tampa Bay players would eventually end up either with power play goals or with space on the ice to do stuff. And, and that's all I ever ask for, is, is for players to have a legit shot at showing off their skill. Yep. Rant how many, over. How many years do you think we're going to have these rants? Um, oh, fuck. I hope, I, hope, I hope it stops before I move house okay. or country. No, no guarantees, though. No, said with no confidence at all. <laughs> so oh, I get well the the whole conversation that you just had started with the name Jonathan Druin, correct? Yes, yeah. Sorry, it started with that. How good? Yeah, that, that, that's what I mean. I want to talk about how. Yes. <laughs> good thing you learned those lessons in Syracuse. He found all that talent down there. The crunch coach deserves a lot of credit. Do you, can you can you watch the can you watch the CBC broadcast or do you have to watch? Well, the, you know, in prior better years with the hockey streams, yeah, I could have picked. Yeah, okay. So I'm I'm watching the CBC broadcast when I watch it, right? And it is absolutely hilarious hearing Glenn Healy get all the fuck over Jonathan Drew when he makes a mistake. He's make and they make some, but you know what are yes. you gonna do? But the thing that's funny is that you've got Craig Simpson up there going, "Well, have a look at this and this and this and this and this and this and this that he's done." And he goes, "Yes, you're gonna get this one error occasionally, but he does all these other things really well." And you just get there, and it's like, okay, is it because he's a goalie and he doesn't like things being done, or is it just that he's a fucking stick in the mud and and just likes to pick on skilled players making mistakes? Because that seems to be all he does is pick out errors by skilled players. He's a that's, stupid goalie. That's, that's what his stuff is. Like that's, that's his shtick. And then it's up to Craig Simpson to try and show the good stuff that's there. He's a stupid <sighs> goalie. And I know they're voodoo. What do they Kevin know? Weeks, Kevin Weeks is good at what he does. Um, oh, who's the guy? Yeah, I don't mean to stereotype and paint all the goalies and... Uh... A bad bite. No, but... no, yeah, okay, good point. You weren't stereotyping. But he, he is, he is just so frustrating. Like I'm a Pittsburgh fan, so I end up having to watch the freaking rude sports guys all the time, and they are just infuriating. But Glenn Healy is just a whole different type of infuriating with what he does when he calls the game. I can't deal with Pierre Maguire, so I just cannot watch. I cannot do the NBC coverage. So I'll put up with Glenn Healy over over Touche Turtle. Yeah, it seems like no matter what side of the border you're on, you're going to get something that you don't like, which is unfortunate. I think there's enough talented people out there to where you don't have to do that. Chris Johnson's not even getting the Stanley Cup games. Like, San Jose won, that's it for him. And he's, like, one of the best color guys going around. Like, him and, and Ferraro, you just... Well, Ferraro's not with... Um... No, I know he's with TSN, and so once once the season's done, he's done. But you sit there with it, and it's just like oh, well, come NBC on. should be throwing piles at him. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to take Pierre's job? Here's please, a lot of please. money. 
and the broadcast would would transform immensely. You'd get some proper insight into what's going on. Casual fans would learn something other than where the fuck somebody played hockey in elementary school. <laughs> but they would learn about the game. More people would understand because most people that watch hockey for the first time in the playoffs really enjoy it. And I think if you would give them proper background on how to understand what the hell is going on out there, because it does move fast. People don't understand icing. People don't understand offsides. You don't have to explain the rules every broadcast, but if you could explain, oh, look at this great play. The guy held up so his guy could tag up and then made the area pass, and they timed like just. Yeah, no, no, you, you no. Can, he played his hockey in Chicutami and uh, with with Badger Rob Badger. Oh, fuck off. Peter. Yeah, but at least at, at, at least uh, they'll call them by their their actual names, like. I, I almost want to throw something at the screen every time I hear him call him Christopher. Because I do believe his name's Chris. Well, his name's Regis. He doesn't even follow his own, his own Did name. Did you say his name's Regis or Egregious? Regis. Jesus. He actually yeah. played college hockey around me. Before we go any more ranty, ranty negatively, have we got anything else we want to talk about? Because it's like quarter past 11 my time, and I have to get up at 5. Um, no, I don't. Th- I think I'll end on this because we do not know the result of Game 7. Basically, December, Pittsburgh Penguins. Not a good look, right? New no. Things were not going well, a lot of turmoil, a lot of negativity. What the hell's going on with the team? Mike Sullivan hire was a big part of it. I think he gets a lot of the credit, whereas I do think Jim Rutherford probably had more to do with it. You, When we're talking about a Rob Scuderi trade to get Daly, uh, Perron, who I think is a good player, but didn't fit what they wanted to do in getting Haglin. Uh, Stuff like that, that changed the dynamic of the team from a personnel standpoint. And then you had the coach that was willing to play to that skill. The Crosby-Malkin window is wide open for for years to come. And look no further than Thornton and Marlowe. How old are they? 85. (laughs) Maybe combined, but... (laughs) (laughs) But their window... Never really closed. It took a while to get there, but they're 35, 36 years old. Malkin will be 30 this summer. You still got five to six more years where they're going to be really good. And and now the personnel, the way the Penguins have looked moving forward, their window's open, whereas a lot of people are like, oh, the window's closing. The window only closes when you start trading away all your futures for rentals and going for it all at once and not realizing how much luck goes into it. You keep the window open by making just smart trades and eventually trusting youth, which they did with Mata and Dumoulin. Hopefully they'll do with Pouliot and, and if Sprong shows you know, improvement, they'll, they'll go that route as well. Look, next, I, I feel really happy with what the prospect is of next year, right? Basically, this... long-winded point, they've had a really good year, even if it ends tonight. Yes, but I'm still going to be shattered if they lose. <laughs> well, it certainly makes my job a lot harder. I'll have to start uh, the off-season blogs, which, um, you know, 
take a little bit more time than game previews, game recap kind of stuff. So I, I, I like the longer they go, it's the, the blog topics kind of speak for themselves. Yeah, Whereas I'll have, actually have to sit down and do the off-season stuff. And, and this will be tougher. There aren't that many moves for them to make, so I don't, I'm not even going to have as much to talk about as I did last year. Last year they had a lot of cleaning up to do. Yeah. So um, I think they've had a great year. Um, it's tough to predict a game seven because both teams are really good. Uh, will either goalie let in fluke goals, bad goals? Will one of them just play out of their mind? Um, one game hockey, a lot of PDO. <laughs> Possession <laughs> doesn't always win out in a, in a one game thing. Uh, I still maintain it gives you your best chance, but it doesn't always uh, work in that sample size. So. Hashtag pains in seven. Okay. Hopefully, um, well, I think we'll have a good Stanley Cup final to talk about either way. So. Oh, exactly. Um, thank you for bearing with us on our hiatus. Um, and I guess we will hopefully see you sooner than the last gap. Please. See you next time.